Good evening, everyone. It is seven o'clock and time for us to begin our weekly Bible study. We'll be continuing uh, from the account of the Exodus. Uh, just before we get to prayer, I uh, want to mention we had a chance to chat very briefly uh, before we began uh, this broadcast. I asked Brother Paul Wharton how he was doing, and he uh, answered good and indicated uh, that we don't want to take that lightly, and I agree with him wholeheartedly. It is very easy in a time like this uh, not only to be thankful, not be thankful for how God is blessing us, uh, but if we are not careful, uh, it is very easy to be ungrateful for how well things are with us uh, right now. Uh, we want to be very mindful that there are those who are sick and some critically so. There are many that are dealing with uh, financial hardships and a number of other issues. Uh, God has blessed us uh, and he continues to bless us and may we be ever thankful for all of God's blessings. Uh, prayerfully, you have been getting the emails uh, with the prayer request uh, on them. Uh, certainly and understandably, we have a lot of people uh, making prayer requests in light of the current situation. Uh, and we want to be thankful that there is a God to whom we can pray, uh, a God who is able to do all things. Uh, and that's not always uh, changing our circumstance. Sometimes it's giving us what we need to soldier through. Uh, so at this time, let us uh, go together in prayer. Our Father and our God in heaven, we come, and Father, may we truly be thankful for the way that you bless us. May we be ever mindful, Father, uh, of the blessings in life that you give to us. May we be thankful for your loving kindness. Uh, may we, Father, ever appreciate uh, that you were good to us in spite of ourselves. Father, we pray at this time that you would bless uh, this current situation, uh, that our world finds itself in. We pray, Father, uh, that above all, that in all things your will would be done. Uh, we pray, Father, that you would bless us uh, to see you at work through all of this and grant, O oh God, uh, that above all things uh, we would ever look to you for deliverance, for sustenance, uh, for uh, all that we need, Father God, to uh, endure uh, the times that we face. And Father, we pray for those who uh, are sick and uh, dealing with uh, uh, the coronavirus. We pray, Father, for those who are ministering to their care. Uh, we pray, Father, for those who risk their well-being uh, in the service of others and asking, Father God, that you would bless them above all according to your will. Father, we ask that you would guide us through our study this evening of your word, uh, that our hearts would be open to the things that you speak to us, uh, that we would, Father, be encouraged to walk in the way that leads to life. And Father, above all, we thank you for Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who makes it all possible. And in his name we do pray and ask all things. Amen. Uh, we are at Exodus chapter 10, uh, verse number 12 in the narrative. Uh, you will notice that there on your screen if you have uh, signed on via Zoom. Uh, I'm going to begin reading there, Exodus chapter 10, verse number 12. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, that they may come up on the land of Egypt and eat every plant of the land, even all the hail, even all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord directed an east wind on the land, and all that day and all that night, the Lord directed an east wind on the land all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind brought locusts. The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled in all the territory of Egypt. They were very numerous. There had never been so many locusts, nor would there be so many again. For they covered the surface of the whole land so that the land was darkened and they ate every plant of the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Thus, nothing green was left on tree or plant of the field through all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh hurriedly called for Moses and Aaron, and he said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, please forgive my sin only this once and make supplication to the Lord your God that he would only remove this death from me. He went out from Pharaoh and made supplication to the Lord. So the Lord shifted the wind to a very strong west wind, which took up the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not one locust was left in all the territory of Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the sons of Israel go. And so we have a theme that is repeated here. Uh, and ironically, this theme is going to be repeated uh, with the children of Israel themselves. And uh, unfortunately, uh, I think we have to be open to the fact that we are seeing this scene repeated in our world today. And the uh, scene that I'm talking about is God steps in and visits his judgment on Pharaoh uh, because Pharaoh will not listen to what God has required. Uh, Pharaoh begs Moses to uh, pray for him so that he might see some relief, which Moses does. And then Pharaoh continues the very same behavior that had uh, got him in trouble in the first place. Uh, Israel would repeat this uh, numerous times uh, before God delivered them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, they would get caught up in sin, particularly in idolatry. Uh, God would send some form of discipline to them, uh, they would straighten up for a time and then they would go back to their idolatrous ways. And if you look at the world that we are living in now, uh, uh, surely our world is begging God uh, for judgment. Uh, we want to be mindful that as the Lord's people, as members of the Lord's church, uh, that we ever keep it in our minds that it is our obedience that allows us to be recipients of the grace of God as it pertains to being uh, saved from our sins. And so certainly we want to learn from the example, as Paul indicated that we should, of those that have gone before us and specifically from the things that are written uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, so this plague comes, uh, plague number eight, uh, the locusts uh, over the land. And again, we want to look at, uh, from the Egyptian perspective, uh, to get their slant on things, uh, how this would have affected them. 
uh, the Egyptians would have been looking for help from Nepper, who was the god of grain, uh, seeing as this is one of the things that the locusts consume. Uh, they also would have been looking uh, for help from uh, the cobra goddess of grain, uh, Renanutet, uh, and certainly they would have been looking for help from Seth, who was uh, the god of the crops. But as has been the case uh, up to this point, uh, there is not a word from any of the Egyptian gods. Uh, and it is interesting that Pharaoh has called Moses for relief. Uh, certainly he may not admit it, but deep down inside, he is aware of the fact uh, that there's something different about the God that Moses and the children of Israel serve. Uh, one source says concerning this, locusts were all too common in the ancient Near East and were notorious for the devastation and havoc they brought. The locusts breed in the region of the Sudan and would have been more plentiful than usual in the wet climate that initiated the entire sequence. Their migration would strike in February or March and would follow the prevailing winds to either Egypt or Palestine. The east wind would bring them into Egypt. A locust will consume its own weight each day. Locust swarms have been known to cover as many as 400 square miles and even one square mile could teem with over 100 million insects. Certainly anything that had survived the hail was now destroyed. And if they had laid their eggs before being blown out to sea, the problem would recur in cycles. So God has brought something uh, upon the Egyptians that they in no wise can deal with. And so humbled under the hand of God, Pharaoh acknowledges that he has sinned, uh, but based on his persistent refusal to submit to God's demands, uh, we'd have to say that this was more the sorrow of the world than it was godly sorrow, which leads us uh, to repentance. Uh, I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians 7, uh, starting at verse number 9. Paul says, I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Paul talks about two kinds of sorrow uh, in the passage there in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. He says there is the emotion uh, of uh, that uh, a sorrow that stems from uh, maybe things not working out as you had hoped, uh, uh, unwillingness to pay the price uh, for the deed that was done. Uh, a number of things could stem to what we call sorrow of the world, but Paul differ differentiates between sorrow of the world and godly sorrow. He says godly sorrow is the regret, the realization that we have done God wrong that moves us to change our behavior. Uh, when we talk about repentance, by definition, repentance is a change of mind that leads to uh, a change of action. When we have committed sin, there should, there, there should be regret. There should be a godly sorrow that moves us to repent. Uh, one of the things uh, 
that God requires both of the sinner and the saint alike is repentance. Now, the law for sinners is repent and be baptized. The law for uh, saints is repent and pray. Uh, but in every case, God requires repentance. And inasmuch as Pharaoh still refused to let the children of Israel go, uh, there's no way that we can call what he's feeling uh, a godly sorrow. Now, certainly he regrets that this God of slaves has done some things that his gods are not able to answer. Uh, certainly he has been inconvenienced and unsettled by the things that have happened. Uh, but at no point uh, has he humbled himself to the point where he will let the children of Israel go as God has required. And what we're going to find as we read through the narrative uh, is that simply because God let up uh, one of the plagues did not mean that God was finished with Pharaoh. Uh, Pharaoh was going to learn he's going to do what God says and no one can stand uh, against God. Uh, so let's press on uh, just a little farther here uh, in the Exodus narr narrative. Uh, verse number 21, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. And I don't know if you've ever been in the kind of darkness. You ever hear people make the expression, you can't see your hand in front of your face uh, some years ago, uh, my family and I, we went on vacation to Tennessee, and there was a cave that you could take a walking tour through. And after we had got some distance into the cave, they turned the lights off, and it was literally one of those cases where you could not see your hand before your face. Uh, and so God says here, there is going to be a darkness, uh, and it's such a darkness that it may even be felt. So now in verse 22, so Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the sons of Israel had light in their dwellings. And I'll tell you something, we may uh, find it inconvenient, uh, you know, for the self-quarantining that we are under right now, but can you imagine going three days uh, where you're not able not only not to leave the house, but the darkness is such that you aren't even free to move around through the house? Uh, so the Bible account says they didn't see each other uh, during this three-day period, and none of them uh, 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 left the house or moved around because the darkness uh, was so extreme. Uh, but the sons of Israel who were in uh, the land in the area of Goshen, uh, they had light in their dwellings. Uh, verse number 24, then Pharaoh called to Moses. And it, isn't it interesting uh, that with all the gods that he has, Pharaoh keeps calling for Moses. Uh, that is an admission that my gods are powerless to do anything about what is going on. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, go serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be detained. Even your little ones may go with you. Now, he's still trying to bargain with God. I remember Moses has said, we are going and we're not going to leave a hoof behind. It, it, everyone and everything, uh, we're all going. Uh, so Pharaoh had said previously, well, you can go, but you've got to leave your little ones here. So now he says, you can go and you can take your little ones, but leave your flocks and your herds. 
And, and it's still this way of him trying to retain uh, uh, what in his mind would have been some measure of control. Uh, because again, if they go and they leave their flocks and their herds, well, the likelihood is they'll be back for them. And uh, at this juncture, Pharaoh still has no intention of letting them go. So verse 25, but Moses said, you must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice them to the Lord our God. Therefore, our livestock too shall go with us, not a hoof shall be left behind. For we shall take some of them to serve the Lord our God. And until we arrive there, we ourselves do not know with what we shall serve the Lord. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he was not willing to let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Beware, do not see my face again. For in the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, you are right. I shall never see your face again. Uh, now, let me talk about the first part of this before we get to uh, the exchange there in verses 28 and 29. Uh, one of the things that we need to take from this as the Lord's church is that we are not free to make compromises uh, with the world or anyone else. We ought to do what God said, how God said it is to be done. And if anyone is not all right with that, that is a matter to be settled between them and God. But like Moses, we ought to stay with what God has required of us to do. Uh, the gospel is not a popular message in our world today. Uh, and the worst thing we can do is to sugarcoat it or attempt to change it to make it accommodating uh, to what people want. We ought to serve God according to the word that he has given us. So now let's look at uh, what we have, uh, again, from the Egyptian perspective. Uh, certainly if Egyptians, and I see uh, my animation is off again, uh, they would have been looking to Ray, who was the Egyptian sun god. And in fact, the pharaohs were considered to be sons of Ray. So the pharaohs were regarded as gods themselves. And certainly in a time of darkness, you would expect uh, the sun god would step up and do something. Uh, they certainly would have been looking for some aid from uh, Horus, the god of light. Uh, and he personified the life-giving power of the sun. And so there are two gods for sure that should have answered in some kind of way. Uh, but there was also uh, Ta, the chief god of Memphis. Now, when I say Memphis, I don't mean Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, Memphis, the city in Egypt. Uh, Ta was said to have created the sun, earth, and moon. And certainly there were other uh, of their gods they would have expected to do something. But these three would have uh, prominently been expected to have done uh, something. Uh, let me read here. From the perspective of the Egyptians, the absence of sunlight had profound meaning. They believed that the regular circling of the sun god in the sky, uh, I guess I must have cut off part of the quotation there. That doesn't read right. They believed that the regular circling of the sun god in the sky, uh, I'm not sure what it was I omitted in copying this or even how I omitted something in copying it. Uh, they believed that the regular circling of the sun god in the sky pronounced his blessings on Egypt, an interruption in that cycle spelled disaster. Thus, this text seems to be targeting the sun god 
probably the most venerated deity in Egypt. The narrative of Exodus is once again claiming utter powerlessness for the kings and gods of Egypt. Moreover, darkness frequently, frequently turns up in biblical text as symbols of judgment. Uh, and there are three references there, uh, should you desire uh, to copy them down and research them uh, at a later time. And so certainly this one, and you can see the progressive nature uh, uh, of the plagues, uh, here God has began to strike increasingly, uh, not just in the severity of what he has done, uh, but in shining uh, the light of impotence on uh, the gods and goddesses and even Pharaoh himself uh, in terms of their ability to stand up to him. So this is the third time here in uh, this, uh, the plague of darkness, plague number nine. Uh, this is the third time that Pharaoh has offered a compromise uh, prior to this occasion. Uh, if you remember back when the swarms of insects, uh, Pharaoh offered to let them sacrifice in the land. And then he said, well, you can go, but don't go far in the wilderness. Uh, with the plague of locusts, Pharaoh offered to let the men go, but just the men. Uh, now here, uh, he wants to uh, uh, offer, uh, try to cut a deal uh, with uh, Moses uh, again. And, you know, everybody can go, but leave your herds. Uh, Pharaoh has learned here uh, that you can only deal with God on God's terms. Uh, and this is why we need to hold to the word of God and to the will of God. Men may oppose what God has to say, uh, but nobody can stand uh, against God. Now we have here uh, in this exchange, and I'll uh, be mindful to say something about it again uh, when we get over into uh, the next chapter. Uh, but uh, Pharaoh says in verse 28, he tells Moses, get away from me. Uh, be careful not to see my face again, for in the day you see my face, you shall die. Uh, it gives you some idea into uh, the pride and the arrogance of Pharaoh, because he hadn't been able to do a thing uh, about these nine plagues that God has sent upon him, yet somehow he feels that he can threaten God's messenger. Uh, and if you had any power at all, Pharaoh, why do you keep calling for me to do something uh, once these plagues have been visited upon you? Uh, and surely Pharaoh is angry uh, and, and not just angry. I'm sure he's just out and out mad at this point. Uh, and so he threatens Moses, if you see my face again, you'll die. Uh, and Moses responds, you're right, I won't see your face again. Uh, but we're going to read a little bit further down in the narrative, and it certainly looks like these two uh, would meet again. Uh, so I'll be mindful to address that. I've written myself a note uh, when we get a little bit further into uh, the Bible text to address that situation. Uh, but right now, let's stick with what we have here in verse, in chapter number 10. So if we look back at chapter 10, uh, we'll find the eighth plague, uh, the locust, verses 1 through 20. And then we have the ninth plague, the darkness, uh, verses 21 through 29. And that is the sum of what we have in chapter 10. 
So it leaves us to consider the so what's from chapter 10. Uh, and number one there in uh, uh, chapter 10 in the so what's, uh, there's learning at home. Uh, in Exodus uh, chapter 10 and verse number two, uh, there the Bible said uh, that you may tell, the, tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I made a mockery of the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them that you may know that I am the Lord. Uh, when we compare that uh, with the great passage over in Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 8. Uh, again, there, uh, the Israelites are instructed to teach their children. I remember Moses says you're to talk about this when you get up in the morning, when you walk by the way, when you lay down uh, at night. Uh, the religion of Israel was, to a great extent, home-based. Uh, and I believe every, with everything in me that Christianity ought to be home-based. Uh, shame on us if we leave it to our children to learn about Jesus in Sunday school or Bible class. And certainly they will learn about Jesus uh, in those places. Uh, but uh, I want to uh, be very careful uh, to stress that it is uh, the parent's uh, responsibility to raise uh, the child. You remember the great passage, Proverbs 22, verse 6, uh, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it, as well as the passage in Ephesians 6, verse 4, uh, where Paul says, ye fathers, uh, bring your children up in the nurture and admonition uh, of the Lord. And so certainly uh, that passage, as well as the others, uh, declare that this still ought to be the case today. Uh, our children ought to have their first experience with Jesus at home and so much so until what they hear to the contrary uh, doesn't phase them. Uh, you know, when you are raised at home, there are certain things that you are taught. Uh, and for those of you that have raised children, uh, and maybe you've heard, uh, you know, sometimes children are told to call 911 if they are disciplined. Uh, well, you know, you get a head start on anybody that would tell them any such thing. And if you instill in them the way that the home works, it never entered into my mind to call 911 on my parents. Uh, because if the police had come, one thing that I could be assured of is that it would have been in my best interest to leave with them uh, and to stay gone. And so we need to train our children at home uh, to know Jesus and to live godly lives and to uh, observe godly standards. Uh, these are things that they ought to learn at home, and we ought not expect others to do our job. It, it is not the school system's job to teach our children morality. Uh, that's something our children ought to have by the time they get to school. Uh, remember, you get uh, a four to five year head start uh, on the school system. And, and so we ought to take advantage uh, of what God has declared and be sure to raise our children uh, at home. This is the responsibility uh, of the parents. Uh, the next so what there, come on, it's, uh, it ought to come. It, it, no room for compromise ought to pop up on the screen. Now, I haven't done anything. There it is. Okay, my, maybe my laptop is just a little slow. Uh, no room for compromise. Uh, you will observe that Moses never yielded from what God commanded. 
And sometimes compromise, compromises may seem innocent enough, but, but think of it this way. If Satan can't lure us into rejecting Jesus outright, uh, he will attempt to, uh, to influence us to compromise. Uh, because one of the things Satan understands is obedience is doing what God said, the way God said, do it. Obedience is not doing most of what God said. It is not doing some of what God said. It is not taking it upon ourselves to change what God said. And multiple times in the narrative, Pharaoh tried to persuade Moses to compromise what God had instructed him to do. You can go, but don't go very far. Uh, you can go, but leave your little ones here. You can go, but leave your herds and your flocks. Uh, some people would have seen, uh, wouldn't have seen uh, you know, any harm in this, you know, well, you can go, but don't go far away. Uh, as he, you know, Pharaoh told him, uh, in the case of the swarms of flies. Uh, well, what would that be in language today? What would that be for us? Uh, well, you can be part of the church, but don't go too far from the world. Uh, our world and our religious world in particular, uh, would love for us not to be those one church people. Uh, you know, you can worship God, just don't go too far from compromised Christianity. Uh, but it flies in the very face of what God has called us to be. Uh, do you remember the words of Peter, 1 Peter 2, verse 9? Peter says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Uh, the church of Christ ought to be different from everyone and everything else. Uh, it is what God has ordained, and man cannot imitate uh, what God has done. Uh, so maybe it's not go, but not far away. Maybe it's go, but leave your children. Uh, you know, this is what he told them uh, after the uh, plague of the locusts. Uh, well, for us today, that would sound like be part of the church, but let your children make up their own minds about Jesus. Now, I get when you raise children, uh, when they grow up and when they leave, it is up to them and, and they can decide to do what they will. And as adults, they have it, that is their choice given to them by God to decide. Uh, but I want to remind us uh, 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 the declaration of Joshua is the, de uh, the definitive word on God and family. You remember Joshua 24, 15, when Joshua called Israel there, he said, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, then go serve, you know, the pagan gods. But as for me and my house, and Joshua didn't need to take a poll on whether or not his house was in favor of that statement. Joshua embraced the responsibility given to him by God as the head of his family. And so Joshua just made an executive call. As for me and my house, uh, as long as your children live in your house, they are not grown. Uh, now, when you've grown enough to pay your own bills and take care of yourself, then you get to make your own decisions. But as for me and my house, uh, and, and if you raise them right, we're not going to sit up at night uh, going back and forth over this thing. Uh, and I'm not saying don't talk to your children, uh, but if the child knows their, per, uh, their proper place, uh, yeah, I can raise an objection maybe, but I'm not your peer. I, I don't get to go back and forth with you word for word. Uh, Joshua made a decision, as for me and my house. 
so this idea of letting your children make up their minds about Jesus, well, when you move out of my house and you pay your own bills, then you can make up your mind about Jesus. But as long as you live in my house and you eat my food and I'm providing for you, then as for me and my house. Now, you can be 50, 60 years old, but if you still live in my house, now, when my rules uh, get to the point where they grieve you that way, somebody needs to move out. Uh, then the third compromise uh, that Pharaoh offered was go but leave your possessions uh, here in chapter 10 after the plague of darkness. Uh, well, for us today, that might sound like be part of the church, uh, but leave yourself something to come back to. You know, in Christ, God calls us to a full commitment. Uh, the commitment that we uh, make to the Lord uh, when we were baptized into Christ is similar to the commitment that you make when you get married. Uh, it's a full commitment. Now, now, once you get married, your, your courting days, other than your spouse who you may continue to court, uh, but your freedom to date who you want, uh, if that's what you wanna do, then marriage is not the thing you wanna get involved in uh, because once you commit in marriage, uh, that's not uh, a, a freedom or uh, an option that you have anymore. Once we make a commitment to God, going back to the world isn't an option that we have uh, anymore. Our brick with the world must be final and complete. Uh, in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 19, uh, Paul says, the foundation of God stands sure. Uh, the Lord knows them that are his, and everyone that has named the name of Christ, uh, let everyone that has named the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And so certainly we are taught in the Bible uh, that we are not under any circumstances to compromise uh, what God has called us uh, to do. And so this is what we have for uh, chapter 10. I just want to give, give me one second. I want to check the chat here to make sure that I am not overlooking a question. Okay, so no questions. Uh, so that being the case, uh, we will move on to chapter 11. And I'm going to trust that my laptop may yet again be slow. Uh, so it may take a moment uh, for the screen to change. It should uh, change here to show us Exodus chapter 11, uh, verses 1 through 3. Uh, Brother Ford, I, well, it says, oh, wait a minute, okay, give me just one second, church. Uh, I can see some things that you can't. I am not talking to myself. Uh, the computer is telling me some things. Uh, I believe that's Brother Ford helping me in the background. Uh, I, I did what it said, but it, oh, Okay, yep, uh, and you will forgive me. I got caught up in talking. Uh, you see the three points that I made there. Just There we go. Exodus chapter 11, uh, verse number one. Uh, now, if you miss something on the PowerPoint, uh, every now and then I get caught up in talking and forget to pop something up. Uh, the PowerPoint will be posted on the website, and I believe uh, brethren may wait until we get to the end so as not to have to keep uh, reposting. It, it is fairly lengthy. Uh, I don't know if you've been counting the slides, uh, 
I have a little notation and I can tell that we are on slide 103 and certainly we have uh, more to go. Uh, but Exodus chapter 11, uh, verse number one, now the Lord said to Moses, one more plague I will bring on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out from here completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that each man ask from his neighbor and each woman from her neighbor for articles of silver and articles of gold. The Lord gave, uh, the, Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, I'm sorry, the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Furthermore, the man Moses himself was greatly esteemed in the land of Egypt, both in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. Uh, and when this says uh, Pharaoh was a, uh, mm, Moses was esteemed uh, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, uh, uh, you remember back before uh, the hail was visited on the Egyptians that Moses had warned them to bring their livestock and their servants in, and it says those that feared uh, the word of the Lord uh, did so, and then those that did not regard the word of the Lord did not do so. Uh, but I would venture even the ones that wouldn't admit it, because you know we won't always admit what was right, uh, but even the ones that wouldn't admit it had to know that there was something different about the God of the Israelites and something different about Moses in as much as he was God's servant. So looking here at verses uh, one through three, now in chapter 10, uh, verse 28, Pharaoh had threatened Moses on the pain of death uh, that he uh, dare not see his face again, uh, to which Moses agreed. Uh, but it would seem that Moses saw him twice more uh, in this chapter in verse number four. And then again, when we get to chapter 12, uh, verses 31 and 32. Uh, my take on this, and there are other explanations. Uh, I, I don't believe that any one of them will keep you out of heaven, whichever one you may hold to. Uh, but my take on this is that 11, uh, chapter 11, verses 1 through 3 are parenthetical. And, and by that, I mean it's information given to help us understand what follows. So the Exodus account follows a narrative in which the account is told to us. Uh, I believe verses 1 through 3 are, are, are breaking the action uh, where we're told something that will help us appreciate uh, what's about to happen. So uh, verses four through eight, in, in my uh, uh, humble estimation, uh, occurred right on the heels of chapter 10, uh, verse 29. And then chapter 12, uh, verses 31 and 32, can be explained by Pharaoh's calling for Moses and having a message relayed to him, much like Elijah sent message uh, to Naaman, but didn't go out to see him. You remember that Second Kings 5? In fact, Naaman was angry that uh, Elijah didn't come out to him, uh, but certainly uh, uh, there was communication in as much as Elijah sent uh, the word out to him. Uh, again, I, I don't know that this is worthy of debate because this certainly does not fall into the category of the law of Christ like baptism does. Uh, but the one thing I think we can all agree on, whichever explanation we may hold to, is that the Bible is right. 
and so what is recorded to us by the guidance of the Holy Spirit uh, is certainly accurate. Uh, but if you read chapter 10 and then were to go uh, immediately uh, to chapter 11, verse number four, uh, it's almost like you didn't, uh, you didn't miss a beat. It, it would flow rather smooth. So uh, again, in my estimation, I hold that verses one through three are sort of a break in the action to give us something that will help us understand some things that we are about to uh, be told. Uh, chapter 11, verse number four, Uh, verses four through eight are going to pop up. I'm reluctant to, yep, there we go. Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight, I am going out into the midst of Egypt and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of the Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the millstones all the firstborn of the cattle as well. Moreover, there shall be a great cry in all the land of Egypt, such as there has not been before and such as shall never be again. But against any of the sons of Israel, a dog will not even bark, whether against man or beast, that ye may understand how the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel and I hope we appreciate that God makes a distinction today between the church and the world. Uh, verse number eight, all these your servants will come down to me and bow themselves before me saying, go out you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Uh, and again, not to belabor the point, but especially verse eight, uh, you can see the Bible says, as a matter of fact, that Moses was angry when he left. Uh, and certainly Pharaoh's words back in chapter 10 would indicate uh, that he was angry as well. Anytime you threaten somebody, if you see me again, I'm going to kill you. And so again, I, I believe that this happens right on the heels of what happened in chapter 10. But may I be careful to say that there certainly are uh, other explanations uh, available. So now this plague, uh, plague number 10, unlike the others, was not announced to be conditional. This one's just going to happen. Uh, now I've given you chances to let them go and you haven't. So this time it's no let my people go. This time, this is just what's going to happen. Uh, and it wasn't just uh, the death of a child. It was the death of the firstborn. Uh, and I believe that it is because of, and I don't have a Hebrew text in front of me, but I believe it is because the way the uh, noun is rendered, uh, that it is uh, often said to be the firstborn son. Uh, now the Egyptians are about to reap as they have sown in as much as Pharaoh had earlier had the male children of the Israelites murdered. Uh, remember uh, that he had them cast into the Nile River because the children of Israel were multiplying in number. Uh, and here, God is going to slay uh, the firstborn uh, of the Egyptians. And I can't begin to imagine uh, the emotional toll that this would take uh, on people. Uh, I venture it is hard to lose a child, no matter which child it is, if you have multiple children. 
but from a male perspective, for you sisters out there, there is something uh, about a man child, and in particular, there's something about the firstborn uh, of the male children. You know, quite often we'll name the firstborn male uh, after uh, uh, the father. I know that was the case uh, with me and Ricky. Uh, and to have uh, your child taken from you, uh, to have him executed, and, and not just executed, but if Pharaoh sits down and thinks this thing through, if I had listened to God, we wouldn't be at this point. See, this is not God, you know, just being capricious or mean. Uh, this is God's response to a man who sought to exalt himself uh, against uh, the will of God. And so uh, here we are told uh, this is just what's going to happen. Uh, and I would venture, if I was Pharaoh, that this would have been very unsettling to hear uh, because to this point, Moses has been nine for nine uh, and nobody has been able to do anything about what God has done. And so there is very good reason uh, to give credence to what he says here. Uh, let me see if we can get verse nine and 10 in. Uh, chapter 11 uh, is a rather short one. Uh, we won't get through uh, uh, the so what for chapter 11, uh, it is 745. But let me read uh, verses uh, 9 and 10 here. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Uh, you know, that's just a remarkable statement in light of all that has transpired. And, and again, this wasn't, uh, you know, one day after the next. This has been over the course I don't know, it could have been about a year or so. It's hard to uh, say exactly how much time, but certainly over several months uh, that this has been going on. Uh, so the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you so that my wonders will be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Uh, the one thing that we dare not miss as we read the Exodus account is that all of this happened according to the will of God. Uh, some of it was his determined will. Some of it was his permissive will. Uh, his determined will. The world is going to know that I am the Lord. And that was God's determined will. Uh, now, Mos uh, Pharaoh, how you respond will uh, dictate which path we take with this thing. Now, Pharaoh could have let Israel go right out the gate. Uh, one of the reasons God chose uh, Pharaoh is that this particular Pharaoh had shown himself to be stubborn in the extreme. And it just shows you now God can use anybody. The question is, how is he using me? You know, is he using me like he used Paul or Peter, you know, to preach the gospel? Or is he using me like he used Pharaoh? Uh, you know, a fellow who was just stubborn and hard hearted. Uh, and so God used him in a very different way. Uh, but the Lord can certainly make use of anyone. So now, verse 10, Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, yet the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the sons of Israel go out of his land. Now, this is a tremendous chance that Pharaoh is going to take, uh, because again, uh, as I say, Moses has been nine for nine. Now, you may not like what he has commanded. You may not like him. Uh, but there's no denying the evidence that has been submitted to this point. 
there is no denying that your gods have been silent throughout this whole ordeal. Uh, your magicians were able to imitate a few of the uh, first plagues, uh, but we haven't heard from them in a good while. And at any rate, never were they able to undo what God had done. Uh, and so uh, let's see if we can't real quickly cover uh, the summary of chapter 11, and that will leave us ready to start on uh, the so what's. Uh, chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, God assures Moses. Uh, when we have a question that popped up here. Let me, let me get that. Uh, can we not use the hardness of Pharaoh's heart as a reflection of our lives when we rebel or go against the word of God, thus suffering from its consequences and outcomes? Uh, Sister Carmen, if we don't learn that, then we aren't going to learn anything. I believe that's exactly why this is in the Bible account. Uh, I, I, that's one of those things you couldn't miss uh, if you wanted to. I, I agree wholeheartedly and absolutely and amen. Uh, Pharaoh certainly serves as a warning uh, and as an example uh, for us that we don't want to follow in his steps. So God assures Moses, uh, verses 1 through 3, uh, then next in verses four through eight, we have Moses before Pharaoh. Uh, and then in verses nine and 10, we have God reassuring Moses. Uh, and so this would recap what we have seen here in chapter 11. Uh, I'm going to mark that we are right there at that spot. And Lord willing, on next Wednesday, we will start with the uh, so what for chapter 11. Uh, there's just going to be one so what from chapter 11, but Lord willing, we'll start there on next Wednesday. Uh, let's have a word of prayer, and then the brethren uh, will be back shortly with the uh, devotional. Let us pray. Again, our Father and our God in heaven, do we come. And Father, may we ever thank you for being the God that you are. May we thank you, Father, for your grace, your mercy, your loving kindness, uh, for sustaining us uh, through uh, this present circumstance, for sustaining us, Father, through the course of our living. And Father, may we learn both from uh, the things that you speak to us in your word and the things that we see in our lives, that you alone are God and that all things happen according uh, to your will. Father, may we trust in your faithfulness. May we find comfort and peace uh, in your power and your promises. And Father, may we live day by day to be examples of your people in all that we say and in all that we do. We pray, Father, that our time uh, this evening studying your word uh, has served the purpose of helping us, Father, to better understand uh, some things concerning you as God, not just as our God, but God of all the earth. Father, may we ever humble ourselves before you, obey the things that you speak to us, and uh, may we, Father, love you because you first loved us and allowed your son to die as a sacrifice for our sin. Father, we thank you for all that you are, for all that you do, and for all that you enable us to become. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord, we do pray. Amen.